Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits you. service. Those of you who are joining us in the room, those of you who are joining us online, just want to join in the chorus of those voices wishing all the moms happy Mother's Day. We are so grateful for you and glad that you are here. Many of you telling your kiddos, listen, you're coming to church with me this morning. If that's you, if you're one of those kids, welcome too. We're glad that you're here. Uh, if this is your first time to Sherwood Oaks, uh, please be sure to stop by our Welcome Center. and We'd love to meet you, answer any questions that you might have, and we've got a little gift for you as, as well. I know that uh, later on today, uh, many of us will be with our family celebrating the moms in our life. And I'll tell you, if you want to kind of spice up the, the, the Mother's Day afternoon conversations, you can just talk about the two topics in today's sermon. Today we are talking about faith and politics. And so that ought to create a nice, peaceful afternoon for, for mom <laughs> today. If you have a, a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn with me uh, to the text that Ronnie just read for us, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. And, and originally in how we outlined this series, uh, we, we're just going to look at verses 11 and 12 today that she read for us. We decided a few weeks ago that we're actually going to reach a little bit further in and we're going to grab all the way up to verse 17 today. So our text for today is going to be 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 17. We are in week five of our series called Exiles, uh, where we're kind of taking this deep dive into these two letters that Peter writes to the early church. And, and we called this series Exiles because this is a word that, that Peter uses. We just, we just pulled it right from these letters. It's a, it's a word that Peter uses to describe those of us who are followers of Jesus. But it's also, it's also a really good description of how we are to engage and how we are to relate to the world around us. As exiles, we live in this world and we work for its good, but this world is not our home. Our residency, for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who have placed our faith in him, who have identified with his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, our residency is in another land. We belong to another kingdom. We, we submit ourselves to the authority of another king. And we've spent the last few weeks talking about what this means in terms of our relationship with the Father. Like how everything that Jesus has done for us on the cross and the way that he lived and the way that he loved us, how that absolutely transforms our vertical relationship with the Father, the living hope that we now have, the holiness that has been given to us. How, how now we have this new identity as a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people. Like all of this that we've talked about over the last four weeks in this series has been about this vertical relationship with the Father. And now Peter is making this shift. He's, he's, he's making this transition and he's turning his attention from the horizontal relationships, or the, the vertical relationships, to now the, the horizontal relationships. How, how we are supposed to live in this world in light of our faith. 
how our new identity in Christ affects our relationships with those around us, even those in positions of authority over us. And he starts with the words that Ronnie read for us earlier, and they're they're foundational to where we're going to be talking and going over the next few weeks. And so I want to make sure that that we don't miss them, that we don't gloss over them. Look at it again with me. 1 Peter 2, starting in 11. Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, there's there's that, that identity again, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, among those who don't follow Jesus, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and there's an assumption that he kind of makes here in these words, the assumption is that they're going to accuse you of doing wrong. As followers of Jesus in our culture, we are going to be labeled, we are going to be marginalized, we are going to be slapped with these things of wrong side of history and and bigot without even getting to know our hearts and the God that we follow. But he says, Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. And so Peter tells us to live a good life, to live a beautiful life amongst those who don't believe, people who don't share our faith, who are not yet followers of Jesus. He tells us to make our faith attractive to them in the way that we live in the way that we treat others and serve them with kindness and dignity and respect and compassion. And and on Mother's Day, I think of all the people that I know who are followers of Jesus because of how they saw their moms live out their faith in front of them. I mean, many of you, like maybe that's even your story. You saw the beautiful life that your mom lived in Christ and it was appealing to you. And maybe sometimes it was your mom was dragging you to church. (laughs) that you are here today and you have faith today because of your mother's faith played out, lived out before you. And there was something attractive about that that made you say, when you had the choice, I choose to still follow Jesus. And Peter tells us to live a life that is attractive, attractive to those who are not yet followers of Jesus. And then he goes on and he, and he, and he tries to show us what that looks like in some different categories that we're gonna be studying over the next few weeks. Like, what does it look like to live an attractive life in relationship and take this new identity that we have in relationship to those around us in in our civil life? What does it look like when we are in harsh, unjust environments? What does it look like in marriage? How How do we play out our faith in marriage and even in the church? That's where Peter is going to take us over the next few weeks. And I just want to warn us all that what Peter has to say to us may be surprising. It may be a bit offensive. It certainly rubs up against some of the cultural norms that are in place. It, It chafes up against our culture. And there are some things that honestly, I don't like, that we won't like, but it's wisdom. And in a world that, that does not lack knowledge or access to information, And we are desperately in need for the wisdom that Peter has to share with us in the coming verses. And so today we're talking about civil authorities. As exiles, how do we relate to our government? Even a government we may disagree with, maybe even especially a government that we disagree with or that we feel is 
opposed to us? And Peter answers uh, kind of two questions about this in our text. First, like, what are we called to do? And then second, why are we called to do it? What are we called to do? Like, how do we take this identity that we have and, and begin to relate to government? And then why do we relate to it in that way? What's God's calling for us and what is he called? How do we do it? And so let's start with what we're called to do. Look at verse 13 and 14 with me. Peter writes, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. And so when it comes to how we are to relate to our government as exiles in this world, the first thing that Peter tells us to do is to submit to it. And man, we don't like that word, do we? I don't like that word. Submission is just what it sounds. It means to come under, sub, submarine, going under, to sub, to come under someone else's mission, to respect their authority, their title, and help their mission flourish, to, to come under them so that their mission can flourish. That's what submission means. And Peter tells us to submit ourselves to every, not, not some, not just the ones that we agree with, but to every human authority, every institution, every structure, every system created by humans to help society flourish. But what does that look like? practically. And what does it mean for us to submit to our governing authorities as followers of Jesus? Well, I want to start by talking about what it does not mean, because I imagine that even right now, if you're like me, you're probably thinking about all those, those, yeah, buts, like, but what about this? But what about this? But what if this? What if this? And there are some legitimate what abouts that we need to address. And so this is what Peter does not mean. Submitting to government does not mean that we obey in every situation. Like if government ever asks us to disobey God, we have to disobey government because God is our ultimate authority. He's the one that we're most accountable to. And so if the government commands us to do something that God forbids or the government forbids us to do something that God commands, we, we cannot obey that. I think Peter actually modeled this for us really well. In Acts chapter five, before, before he writes these letters, when, when Peter is still, I mean, he's young you know, as a follower of Jesus. This is early on, you know, after Jesus ascended into heaven and they're, they're just on fire for Jesus and they're going around, they're telling anybody and everybody about him. And, and there were a few times when, when Peter was arrested, thrown in jail, for preaching about, about Jesus. And the authorities came to him. They're like, listen, man, you have got to stop talking about this guy. Like you're making us look bad <laughs> by talking about him so much. And Peter's response was, I'm sorry, but no. Like we've got to obey God. He raised a guy from the dead and you didn't. And so I'm sorry, but his authority trumps yours. <laughs> I think about our brothers and sisters around the world, many of whom in, in China gathering for worship today because it's what God wants us to do, but most of them are doing it 
out of civil disobedience because their government forbids it. And so submitting to government does not mean that we obey in every situation. It also mean, does not mean that we worship our government. In Peter's day, people would set up the emperor as a god and worship him. And we look at that and we, we might think, oh, that's so like backwards, so primitive. But I'm telling you, like, look at our culture today and you'll realize we're probably not as far away from that as we like to think that we are. We're still tempted to worship our leaders that are either in office or to worship the ones that we think ought to be in office. See, scripture says that eternity is in our hearts, that God has set eternity in our hearts. And I think that part of that, there's so many implications of that in our lives in our longings and in our desires. But I think one of those is that we are naturally attuned to be looking for a savior, to be looking for someone or something to rescue us. We long for a savior. And I think so many people in our country and even in the, the church, the, the, the big C church are prone to political idolatry. We're tempted to look to government to save us. We say things like, if we can just get the right people in office, or if we can just get the wrong people out of office, then all of our problems are going to be solved. And I'm telling you, that's idolatry. We're looking to something or to someone besides Jesus to rescue and to save us. And I think tied into this is that we're also prone to the idol of nationalism. The belief that God somehow loves and favors our nation over any other nation and that we somehow deserve that blessing. And listen, America is great and we ought to be incredibly thankful for all the ways that God has blessed our nation. But our hope is not in America being great. We do not worship America. We do not worship those leading our government or those that we want to be leading our government. We worship one king, one leader, and his name is Jesus. As Christians, God has called us to care about so much more than just our country. We, we see Peter himself, the author of these words, wrestle with them in the middle section in the book of Acts. Peter had grown up where his theology and his nation were wrapped around one another tightly. And he took a lot of pride in being an Israelite. And God had to remove those things from him and get him to think more globally and that the message of the gospel and God's grace was for more than just people in his nation. And I think that he's still continuing that work even today. God is forming for himself a family made up of people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And so we ought to care about the world that, as the way that he cares about it as our hearts align more and more with Jesus. Third, submission does not mean we don't seek change. It doesn't mean that we don't challenge injustice when we see it. And here's the thing about our country and about our system that is so incredibly great. We can simultaneously submit to government and seek to change it. Like there are systems in place that allow us 
to do that. And the civil rights movement is a great example of that. A group of people, many of whom were Christian, engaged in nonviolent protest and dialogue. They worked with Congress to repeal and replace unjust laws and systems. It was amazing what happened in the 50s and 60s and the change that it brought about. And we know that, that there are still places and pockets where change needs to continue. And as followers of Jesus seeking the good of others, we should continue to do this, continue to seek change wherever there is injustice. Wherever we see the least of these or the marginalized or the poor or the weak or those who don't have a voice for whatever reason, we should absolutely stand up with them and for them and seek change for their good. But we should seek it within the guidelines of our faith and the structures and the systems and the laws of government that God has set in place. And so those are some things that it doesn't mean when we talk about submitting to the government. And I'm just feeling very vulnerable right now. Are you all still with me here? So what does it mean? I think one, it means that we obey the law. Even the ones that we think are dumb or insignificant or arbitrary, most laws are in place for the good of society and, and God didn't put us in charge of which ones we get to obey and which ones we don't get to obey. And I think oftentimes, you know, if, if, if we believe that God is living in us, the Spirit's working in us, then oftentimes it's the voice of the Holy Spirit that is guiding us and directing us on this. And then if you're like me, sometimes it's the voice of a sweet little angel that's coming from behind you in the back seat. Uh, our daughter is, she loves to watch speed limit signs and then look at the little digital speed display on our dash. And uh, she'll say, Hey daddy, um, you're going eight miles an hour over the speed limit right now. And, and I say, well, sweetie, I'm so glad that you can do that math, but I'm just going to click this little button. So you don't see that anymore. Uh, and we're good to go. <laughs> In Matthew 22, someone came up to Jesus and asked him if it's right to pay taxes to the government. And the Roman government was incredibly oppressive, especially to the Jewish people. And by paying taxes, the Jewish people were actually funding their own oppression. These taxes were going right into the pockets of the people who were continuing this oppression over them. And so he asked Jesus, is it right for us to pay our taxes knowing the evil that it's going towards? And Jesus asked for a coin and he points out that Caesar's name and image are impressed onto that coin. And, and he tells this person in the audience, and he tells us, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what belongs to him. And I think, well, Jesus, that's easy for you to say. You didn't own a home. Your property taxes didn't skyrocket this year. <laughs> but I think what Jesus is saying is that part of what it means to follow him is to obey the law, obey the civil authorities. And so give them what belongs to them and give God what belongs to him, which by the way, is our very lives. Second, submitting to the government means honoring our leaders and authorities. It means acknowledging the image of God in them. They are human beings created in the image of God. And so they are worthy of your dignity, your honor, and your respect. Yes, even that politician that you're thinking of right now in this moment. 
even if you don't see eye to eye with them politically. I think that's what Peter means in verse 17. He says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, and then look how he closes. Honor the emperor. We live in such a politically divided time. And so much anger and venom is being spewed from both sides of the aisle. And then you add to it the cable news channels that are inciting their audiences. And it just becomes so easy to talk about our leaders that we disagree with, with almost like in in subhuman ways. And we've all seen people do this again on both sides. And it breaks my heart when I see it, especially breaks my heart when I see Christians on social media engaging in this same behavior, behavior that confession time I've been guilty of too. And we can challenge authority without disrespecting them. And Peter says, if you really want to reflect the goodness of God in your life and the living hope that you have in Jesus, honor and respect those in positions of authority over you. Why do we do it? There's a couple of reasons why we submit to our government that I think Peter outlines for us. And and number one, we submit to government to glorify God. That's that's the first reason. And there's this divine thread that flows throughout this entire passage. Look, Look again, verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake, like his name is on the line here. Verse 15 and 16, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slave. Verse 17, Peter tells us to fear God, to respect God and honor the emperor. I think what he's saying is that one way that we can fear God, that we can respect him is by honoring even those who are in positions of authority over us. God is the divine thread that runs throughout this entire text. It's about his name. It's about his will. It's about his glory. He's the reason that we submit to earthly human authority. And I think that the bottom line for us in this passage today is this. Our submission to human authority is a reflection of our submission to God. In other words, our posture towards civil authorities reflects our posture towards God. Do we have a heart that resists him or do we have a heart that responds to him? Do we have a heart that is rebellious towards him or do we have a heart that is soft and willing to submit to him? Do we want to call the shots in our own life or can we surrender ourselves to his leading and his lordship? The truth is, is that rebellion runs deep within every single one of our hearts. From the moment of the fall, we have been rebelling against God and against everyone else. And I think that being able to submit to the authority of others is a sign that Jesus is uprooting that sin in our lives because we don't have to prove ourselves anymore. We're we're free from the bondage of what other people think about us. And so how you submit to human authority is a reflection of your submission to God. It's a theme that runs throughout the next few sections that we're going to be looking at. And it starts with government. 
And so we submit to glorify God, but we also submit so that others will glorify God too. There's this missional component to this that, that points back to verse 12. Peter tells us to live such good lives amongst those who don't believe that they will see how we live, how we love, how we, how we have compassion and kindness in our hearts, how we treat others, how we submit ourselves in humility. They will see our good deeds and they will give God glory. And he says on the day when he visits, what he's talking about is the day when Jesus returns, that when Jesus returns, he will find them giving glory to God because of what they saw in you. I think one of the reasons we resist government and authorities that we don't agree with is because of, of fear, fear that we're going to lose control, fear that we're going to lose some kind of power that we want to hang on to. But, but scripture tells us that, that God's perfect love casts out all of that fear. We don't have to be afraid of who sits in office because our one true king will always sit on his throne and nothing, nothing will come up against his kingdom. And so now Peter is saying, in light of your freedom, show the world what it looks like to submit and to trust God in all things. Show them the beauty and the freedom of surrendering to his lordship and the peace that you can have in this world, living as exiles, come what may. See, the message throughout First and Second Peter for those of us living as exiles in this world is don't resist. Don't fight back, but don't retreat either. You've been set free by Jesus and are no longer bound by or to the things of this world. And so go out and live as salt and light to those around you. Bring goodness and grace wherever you go so that others may glorify God as well in their lives. It's not like Peter is writing these words in a system of government that was just overly favorable for Christians. <laughs> they were ruled by Nero and governed by him and, and he treated Christians incredibly harsh. And I imagine his original audience reading this letter and kind of pushing back, maybe even in some of the ways that we've pushed back this morning. Going, Peter, do you know? Do you know who our authority is? Do you know who's leading us right now. Peter, you want us to submit to him, to obey and to honor him? And I imagine Peter would simply reply, listen, I'm just telling you to do what I saw Jesus do. We talked about it last week, but we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That means that our lives are tied up in his life and we ought to look more and more and more like Jesus in every way, including how we submit to our leaders. Jesus submitted himself to the governing authorities of his day and it cost him his life. When he talks to Pilate before the crucifixion, Pilate says, don't you know that I have the authority to crucify you and I have the authority to make all of this go away? And Jesus looked at him and said, you have no authority except for what God has given you. And Jesus submits himself to Pilate's authority. Instead of calling down angels to defend him or looking at him and saying, this guy's not my governor. <laughs> Jesus submits himself to Pilate's authority and in doing so, he submits himself to God. 
And because of that, our sin can be forgiven and our relationship with the Father can be renewed and restored. We, we can live a new life that is called up, that is no longer burdened by all of the things that our world and our culture gets so worked up over. We're free to now go and seek the good of others and all of these systems in which we live to give voice to the voiceless, to, to protect those that, that are hurting and that are oppressed. We're, we're free to invite them to a beautiful life that we can live in Christ. Because Jesus was obedient to the Father, we can now have a new life and a fresh start when we put our faith in him. And maybe you're here today and you've been resisting that. You've been resisting God. I want you to know that he can transform your rebellious heart and give you peace as you walk through this life. If you wanna talk to someone about what that means in your life, if you wanna talk to someone about giving your life to Jesus, surrendering your heart to him, identifying with his death, burial and resurrection and baptism, we're gonna sing one more song. And at the end of the service, as everyone exits, There'll be some of us up here that would love to talk to you about what it means to take those next steps of faith in your life, to surrender and submit to him and to live in the freedom that's made available through Jesus. Won't you stand with me and I'll close this off in prayer. God, I'm so thankful for your word. And Lord, I say that every week. And sometimes it's because your word inspires and just comforts me. And then Lord, sometimes it's because your word has a way of challenging me. And this morning and certainly this week was one of those in my life. And I'm I'm sure that I'm probably not the only one today. We're wrestling with some of what was just said, not sure what we can believe or if it's true. And Lord, my prayer is that in these coming minutes and hours and days, if there is anything that was from me that wasn't from you, that wasn't your wisdom or your truth, that Lord, we will forget it, that it will wash away as, as we walk into the rains today, heading back out to our cars. But Lord, if there is something that you want us to, to be shaped by, to be molded by, if there's something in your word that Lord, you want to, as a, as a skilled surgeon, use as a scalpel just to continue to make us and form us into the image of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you won't let it go in our lives. And that God, this week, as we wrestle with this text and what it means, Father, as your spirit just reminds us of these words, that God, our hearts will be challenged just to to surrender more and more to you. And in doing so, Lord, to live this good and beautiful life that is attractive to others, that they may know you and follow you too. Father, we thank you for government. Lord, sometimes it causes a lot of headaches, but we thank you for those systems and structures that are in place. May we honor those who are in authority. May we respect them. And Lord, may we just live in a way that shows that ultimately we answer to you. We answer to a greater king and we belong to a greater kingdom. And the people in this world can too. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org slash messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.